Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Gary Bloom, and you're listening to On the Sporting Couch. I'm a sports broadcaster, counsellor and psychotherapist and that means I work one-to-one with all sorts of people who are having or have experienced problems in their day-to-day lives. It's sometimes called a talking therapy. It doesn't mean the individual is ill or sick. It just means that they feel the need to discuss the things that are going on in their lives because they're going through a tough time. The goal of therapy is to understand ourselves even better. One in four of us will experience strong feelings that can overwhelm us at some stage in our lives. My training allows me to work with people who are experiencing mood disorders like anxiety, depression, performance anxiety, relationship and work issues and addictive behaviours. I'm undertaking this project to help widen the understanding of mental well-being in sport and beyond. Nearly everyone listening will know of someone who's been in this position at some stage Hopefully, this programme will give a greater understanding of what goes on between therapist and the person who today is on the sporting couch. Meet Keith Gillespie, whose footballing career included spells at Manchester United, Newcastle United, Blackburn Rovers and Leicester City, to name a few. On top of that, he played 86 times for Northern Ireland in a career that lasted 15 years and included nearly 600 games for club and country. But for all his sporting achievements, he's also known for losing all of his earnings as a professional footballer to a gambling addiction, his losses totalling £7 million. As we'll hear, his sporting career was blighted by brushes with law, gambling debts and fights with managers and teammates, and a string of relationships. So, in the next hour, I hope you'll hear what I think is a really brave admission by Keith that the life he was leading as a professional sportsman wasn't all it looked like on the outside. Welcome to On the Sporting Couch with me, Gary Bloom and Keith Gillespie. Admitting I've read your book, which is now sitting on the desk in front of me, How Not to Be a Football Millionaire, there's lots of labels in there about who you are. Gambler, womanizer, great player... What label would you give yourself right now, here, today? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, thanks for the great player, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you play for Man United, that's the only um, Yeah, there's been plenty of sort of, you know, controversy with me over the years uh, in terms of me as a person nowadays. Um, 
I'd say I'm sort of content uh, with things. Um, obviously had problems in the past, but... Content? That's I wouldn't say that's a, a proper label, would you say? It's not a, it's not a particularly so strong I'm word. Consent. So I'm going to say Keith Gillespie is now a fill-in-the-blank. Um, well, I can't say content now, can I? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy in, in myself, which I think if, you, if, if you're happy in yourself then most things round about you sort of come into place. And one of the th- reasons you gave me of your contentment right now is the fact you're not in a relationship. Do you want to say a bit more about that? Yeah, well, basically, um, you know, since uh, you know, 19, 20 years of age, I've been in relationships, um, two marriages, but I, I, I tended to sort of go from one relationship to the other, um, Sometimes being with another person caused the breakup of the previous one. Um, that'll explain the sort of womanizing tag that you've given me. Um, <laughs> but um, for the first time, you know, in over 20 years, the last sort of 18 months, I've been single. And, you know, it's it's something I needed to do because I realized that's what I was doing. Um, you know, jumping head first into a new relationship straight away uh, because... It's just what I knew what to do. Um, You know, I was never really on my own. So now I've had time to sort of have my own time and not have uh, the headaches of of being with with a woman. I say headaches loosely. (laughs) But you're enjoying being single. You said that you you would feel under pressure, maybe a bit more angry, a bit more sparky. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be the, the easiest person in terms of I wouldn't... I wouldn't show a lot of love, um, which has been a problem for me in relationships. You know, showing love to to whichever partner I was with. So, I think me being like that would have made my partner sort of resent me. In that, why can't he show me more love? Um, you know, and that would they would then focus on other things and maybe nagging at. At different things then and that's when I would sort of get angry uh, What got in the way of you showing people love? Um, I wish I knew um, you know because I'd say I'm, I'm a you know sensitive sort of person um, but I just was never one to express my I knew I knew what I wanted to do but never felt capable of, of being able to sort of you know, do it. Let's go back to when you were very young. Were your parents able to show you affection? Yeah, um, my, my, my my dad would have been very similar to me. Um, you know, I've, he's he's the sort of one that when I, when I ring him up, I ring him up to talk about football or or whatever it may be. Uh, my mum is a, is a completely different person. Um, you know, you got pl- I got plenty of love at home. But I moved away at a sort of a young age, sixteen, mm. and you're, you know, you're fending for yourself then. You see, I'm going to pick up the topic of your dad. Your dad was a prison officer for twenty years, one of the most brutal prisons of its time, in the worst of the troubles in Northern Ireland. He was a prison officer in the maze. Did you ever have a sense of the emotions he was carrying and bringing home into your family? No, not. I wouldn't say so. Um, 
you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think he he brought sort of work home with him. Um, Did he bring any emotion home with him? Well, I, I, I never, I never seen it. Um, as I say, he's pretty similar to me in that if he did, you know, he would bottle it up. You know, I would sort of be one to sort of bottle things up and, and pretty much bury my head in the sand. Um, like your dad? Yeah, the same as my dad. So if he did, you know, he, he hit it very well. You talk very clearly in your book how you lost an awful lot of money in gambling, approximately £7 million. And at the worst of the times, you turned to your mum rather than your dad to give her bad news. Why? Um, I suppose um, emotionally I would be closer to my mum. Um, and I think my dad could my dad could handle that, that sort of news better than my mum. Um, you know, my mum, when I, when I phoned her, you know, there was there was disappointment in her voice I could tell that but you know I knew that she wasn't going to disown me she was going to help me through it um, Would dad have disowned you? No not at all not at all um, you know as I say he's a, he's a similar sort of character to me but um, you know my mum you know I felt I felt I had to warn her because um, at the time when, I, when I'd lost the, you know 47,000 one afternoon um, it was going to hit the newspapers the next day, so it was only right that I knew journalists would be, you know, trying to get a reaction off her. So I had to to sort of pre-warn her that, you know, what was actually happening and what was going to appear in the newspapers. So Keith, at the age of sixteen, you you leave your home in Northern Ireland in Bangor, and you are picked up by Manchester United. What was it like the first few weeks as a as a junior apprentice at Old at Old Trafford? It was difficult. Um, Why? You know, sixteen year, years of age, you're still a child. Um, you know, you're moving across the water, new country, new surroundings. Um, you know, and to be fair, I'm, I'm living with people who are in the same same boat as me, and mm. I suppose that that helps in that we know we're all having to do it. But you know, you you're always going to miss home. What support did Manchester United offer you and players like you back then? Well, what 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 happened would be that every six weeks we would get home for sort of five days, um, you know, which which was okay because you didn't want to be going home every two weeks because mm. that sort of would have just interrupted the football, um, you know. So every six weeks was 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 good, you know. You looked forward to to going home, um, but. At the end of the day, this this was the career that I chose, and this was a sacrifice that had to be made in terms of moving across the water. So, you've got to learn to just adjust to the to a new life and and being away from home, um, you know. And that is literally the sac- sacrifice that had to be made. What could they have done greater? Because you pretty quickly, as a player there, were getting into some bad habits. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of obviously the gambling, that's where that that sort of happened first. Um, you know, went to the bookies one afternoon with a, with a, a colleague of mine, a couple of years older, who lived in digs with me. Mm. Uh, but I don't think back then. I, I don't think in terms of the gambling side of things, it was you know the sort of taboo sort of topic that it is nowadays. 
How did this get out of control for you, Keith, the gambling? Well, basically, the very first time I was in the book bookmakers, I um, it just got a hold of me. You know, the thrill of of you know putting a bet on and, and you know trying to get that winner. Um, when I, when I, when I moved to Newcastle, um, it spiraled more and more out of control. Um, the first sort of five months of my life at Newcastle, I lived in a hotel, um, and after training, maybe. By half twelve, I was leaving the training ground. I had the rest of the day to myself, um, and to fill those afternoons in, I went to the bookies rather than than go home to an empty hotel room. Um, other players had had their own lives, families, you know, kids to go back to. I was nineteen years of age. Were you bored or were you lonely? It's probably it's probably a bit of both. Um, you know, it's very. Uh, it's a very young age, nineteen. Um, you know, I was I was part of a huge transfer at the time. It was, you know, Andy Cole went to to Man United and you know British transfer record fee. Um, you know, and I'm the sort of make weight in that deal. Um, and I'm moving to, you know, a, a new a new city with people with people there that I don't know. Um, you know, so on an afternoon, you know. For for me, trying to fill those afternoons, you know, the void of of just sitting, you know, watching TV in the hotel, you know, I ended up going to the boogies. I'm just wondering how life might have been very different uh, all those years ago had you played golf, for example, with some of the older players rather than ended up in the bookies. Yeah, it's certainly something I wish, obviously, I had done. Um, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a keen golfer now. And <laughs> I play quite a bit. It's a bit late. Yeah, but <laughs> better late than never. But um, yeah, it's it's something that you know I, I I played occasionally, but for me the 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 thrill of of being in a bookmakers and 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 trying to win, you know, I have that that in me where the thrill of it you know the adrenaline when you're watching your your horse and it's going to pass the line first is is something that that was there in me um and probably you know even if I was playing golf I'd have still been sort of gambling as well you're listening to on the sporting couch with me sports broadcaster and psychotherapist Gary Bloom and former footballer Keith Gillespie and if you're finding life tough, Samaritans is there to listen. Call 24-7 free on 116-123 or visit samaritans.org. Welcome back to On the Sporting Couch with me, Gary Bloom, and former footballer Keith Gillespie. Most addictions, in my experience, cover up something that's particularly painful. We all have our addictions. It doesn't matter what they are. And I'm wondering if you have an idea what those addictions might have been covering up. Um, it's a good question. Um, in terms of what it, what it's covering up, you know, there there was the void of of, of loneliness. You know, being in a new city, uh, and also the boredom. Factor. Sounds a really painful time for you. Yeah, I mean it. It is painful, but I think you're know, looking at it. You know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm a professional sportsman and I'm I'm in a job that you know so many people would have loved to have been doing you know so you know I know I lost a lot of money at, you know when I'm playing but you know you're, you're paid very well and you always know there's a wage coming the next week and the next week after that so you know that's you know it, it wasn't it wasn't the fact of oh I want to win really big here it wouldn't matter if I had £10 or £1,000 the horse you know, I still got the same excitement, the same feeling. I tell you what comes over to me reading your book, Keith, and that's that you seem to come into regular conflict with authority figures. Is that a fair summing up? Yeah, there's a there's a few instances um, in the in the book. Um, you don't like being told what to do, do you? No, like at times, you know. I'll, I'll respect the rules, um, but there's times when, for instance, with, with Sheffield United and Kevin Blackwell as a manager, um, the way he, he was treating me, mm. I mean, there's a way to sort of do things, and I just felt as if he wasn't doing it in the proper way, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't like I was a, a young player, I was a, an experienced player, 30, 31 years of age, you know, so I'd been around the block you know, a few times. So the way he was sort of treating me, I felt as if he was he he was a bully, and I felt as if he he tried to make life difficult for me and got enjoyment out of that. So I felt as if I had to challenge him. So going right back, what was it like when Dad laid down the law in your house as a young man? Did you find that difficult? No, you know, you, I've I've been brought up to be respectful, and and you know. In, in that sense and you know as a, as a kid when you're told off you know the last thing you want to hear is your mum saying I'm telling your dad when he gets <laughs> in from work um, you know because you knew you were in trouble but um, but you're not very respectful as, as a 16 year old afterwards you know you, you regularly challenge authority you tell some very senior people who have direct influence on your career where to get off there's very little respect there in your career yeah but I, would, I would agree with you Um I think in 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 terms of you know some of the decisions I made there are obviously you know heat of the moment a lot of them would be heat of the moment you know you regret them afterwards what do you like saying sorry to people yeah i can i can i can apologize um, have you ever apologized to a fellow professional or another manager or a coach and say actually I got that wrong well i did, I did have to um apologize to to Kevin Blackwell at one stage um was that the right thing to do I think it was. Um, you know, we'd had an argument um, after a game, um, and you know, he said things to me. I said things back, um, and you know, maybe overstepped the mark at times. But I, I apologised for it. Um, but if anything, it probably the the relationship got worse then. But you were then sending him abusive texts anonymously. <laughs> yes. Um, I'd pretty much had enough of the, this guy. Um, you know, he um, he would he would make me travel to away games. Um, you know, twenty players maybe travel, sixteen get changed. Um, he'd make me travel, leave me out of the the sort of sixteen, which you know you can handle it. You know, if you're a sort of younger player, because this this is sort of something that clubs would do, where they would they would take 
young players along and give them the experience of being in a squad. But I was like an experienced player. Um, and even, for instance, um, coming back from an in, from international duty, we had been away for 10 days, um, flying back from Eastern Europe. On the Thursday, um, he decided to put training back to 3 o'clock in the afternoon so that I could make training. So I had to fly Eastern Europe to Heathrow, Heathrow to Leeds, drive to training ground to do a five-minute warm-down on a bike. You know, and I thought, well... That's something to, to completely inconvenience me. And then it's the following day where he takes me away to Norwich, you know, so that I'm, he's annoying me again. And, and but that's your job. I, I know it's my job, but... The, the, I'm, I'm, you know, the, as a football manager, I'm paying you. You do what I say. But the, but there's ways of there's ways of doing it. Um, I feel as if he got enjoyment out of it. The word that comes up for me here is Humiliation. And it's something that came out in our conversation about your time as a, a trainee at Manchester United and the initiation ceremonies that used to go on in the dressing room. And what you said to me was that it made you frightened, those initiation ceremonies. Why did it make you frightened? It's just the knowing what's coming. You, you know what's coming. You're sort of a first-year apprentice. And we all had to do it. Um, it was a yearly thing. You know, you'd be sitting there and... You know, somebody will be getting humiliated, one of your teammates, and you're, you know, probably got a look of complete despair on your face thinking, I'm next. Um, you know, thankfully those sort of things don't happen anymore, you know, in terms of apprentices. But, yeah, it was um, it was difficult because you, you'd done everything you could to avoid going back in the dressing room at lunchtime because mm. that's when it happened. Um, you know, so you'd done everything you could to, to, to stay away from the dressing room. Because there are aspects in your book, which you've been very honest about, of you bullying too, in later life, other players, coaches, and subsequently female partners. Yeah, in terms of... I mean, <laughs> we spoke about earlier in terms of, of, of bullying. You know, there's, that's one thing I would I would say I'm definitely not, as, as a bully. But it's in the book. Um, I sort of don't... I've never had anyone who sort of read the book and and said to me that it was bullying. Um, maybe in terms of of your line of work, you sort of look into things more than what other people do. But I wouldn't describe it as bullying in terms of of, of anything with players and stuff. But you know, I wasn't I wasn't a sort of good partner um, with whoever I was with at the time. Um, Particularly, probably my my last, or the the sorry, the mother of my my four year old son, um, you know, and everything with her ended really sorely. Did uh, you bully her? Well, I sort of I tried to verbally bully her, with with me and 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 her. Um, I was more I was more worried about with the relationship finishing. Um, what effect it was going to have in terms of my relationship with my son who was um, about 16 months old because mm. I'd already had a breakup of a marriage and my two children had moved back to England from Northern Ireland so that sort of hit me really hard in terms of I'd seen them woken up with them every day uh, the oldest one being three and a half and, and the youngest being 13 months so 
that that hit me hard um, and I struggled to sort of come to terms with with not seeing them every day and I felt as if I was threatened by her that I wouldn't see my son so a lot of the sort of verbal bullying came around because of that There seems to be such a big change Keith from your playing days to what I would call this very aggressive violent behaviour drinking, gambling and now you are a very very dedicated father taking time, effort, money to come over here to see your daughters it's almost like two sides of a coin you're almost like a different person a different persona from the book that you've written yeah I think in terms of the book um, you know I, I, I do come across at times in the book as as a bad person um, I don't I don't think for one second that I am um, but in terms of, of, of being a father um, you know you, you, you've got to do right by your kids and, and I want to have a relationship with with all of my children. You see, I, I take exception. You talk yourself a bad person. I don't believe in bad people. I think there's people who do bad things. Hmm. And I think this is something that's come out in your book. You're now somebody who does good things. <laughs> yeah. For, for me, doing good things, the fact that I want to see my, my kids, that's it, not a good thing because... There's many a father who would turn his back, and many fathers do turn their back on the children, but you're very dedicated in that respect. Yeah, my, my, my kids are everything to me, and you know I want to, to grow up with a relationship with them, and mm. you know if, that's, if that takes me flying over to England to see the two over here and having my relationship with, with my, my little boy back home, you know I'll, I'll do whatever I can to, to, to make that work. What was it like when the mother of your children decides to pack her bags and come here and live in England. Was it similar to when you packed your bags and went off to play for Manchester United? Um, yeah. Um, I, re- I, remember, I remember the day that she, she left and, and, and went with the kids. And What was it like? Yeah, it, was, it was heartbreaking. Um, Can you say yeah. a bit more about that? I I um I knew we were we were sort of going through a you know a tough time um you know I hadn't I hadn't sort of been diagnosed at the time with with any depression whatsoever but I'm I'm sure I, you know I was at that time um you know it's very difficult when you've been used to playing football training playing every day for for over 20 years and that's coming to an end you're thinking what next and you know football playing football training you know it's 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 an escape from everything you Mm. you know when you're out there you know there's no other thoughts in your head but you know the the depression was there for quite a few years do you think the depression has been there from day one but the excitement of playing Premier League football training, dressing room stuff, offset some of that depression. I'd I'd, I'd say so. Um, maybe not. Maybe not day one. Um, so when did it come? Um, I think. I think you get depressed when when you're not playing at a club, and then you take that home with you, and 
you know, you you believe in your own ability, but somebody doesn't, and that's a real knock to your confidence. Um, and you think about things and you dwell on things, and why am I not playing? Why is he not doing this? Why is he not doing that? You know, so that can I, I feel as if that can lead to you know depression in terms of you know you train all week to to play on a Saturday, but for a long time, especially at Sheffield United, um, that wasn't happening for me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're listening to On the Sporting Couch with me, sports broadcaster and psychotherapist Gary Bloom, and former footballer Keith Gillespie. And when life is tough, Samaritans is there to listen. Call them 24-7 on 116-123 or visit samaritans.org. This is TalkSport. Welcome back to On the Sporting Couch with me, Gary Bloom, and former footballer Keith Gillespie. I'd like to look at a very... Difficult chapter in your life, Keith, and you make a very clear comment on this. When you're accused of rape whilst you're away on a tour in La Manga in Spain, you say in your book, I'm a victim, I always have been a victim, I probably always will be a victim. Did you feel you were a victim of that? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of... Of things I've done in my life, and I, you know, I hold my hands up. Uh, I've been out of order. Uh, with that instance, um, I felt really angry in terms of what we were forced to go through um, for for something that that never happened. Humiliation again? Yeah, of course, humiliation because it's um, it's a crime that nobody wants to be associated with. Um, you know, and it's it's detrimental to to 
to everyone involved. You know, my mom, my dad, my, my sisters, you know, they're the ones who who, who get it as well. Um, you know, so to be to be you know, in that sort of you know, place where all of a sudden you're you're accused of a of, of a crime which is, is you know, a hideous crime. Um and you've gotta spend nine days in, in, in two days in police cells, another week in, in, in prison, you know, for something that never happened is is, is something that you know, I, I still feel angry about it today that I actually had to go through that. But on on another side, I think, you know, it helped me as a person that, you know, I was able to go through such an ordeal. There seems a connection with your father being a prison officer, and yet this time you're on the other side <laughs> of the equation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I couldn't, I never, I never ever seen that one coming, but... Um, did you have a sense of what Dad might have been going through when you were a prisoner for those few days? Yeah, it's something I'd never thought about, but I'm sure in terms of with what what he used to do in terms of locking people up, I'm sure it came into his head. But it is something I never thought about that my dad could be thinking, you know, he'd be getting, he'd, he'd be out yard time now, he'd be doing this, he'd be doing that, he'd probably be up in his cell now, and you know wondering what I'm going through you know and it it was something I never thought about ever what was your experience emotionally of being locked up for about a week I I I feel as if I handled it really well in in terms of in my head um obviously the, there was there was three of us with with Paul Dickoff and, and Frank Sinclair as well uh, we 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 shared the same cell so we went through you know everything together uh, but I was the youngest of the three. But in terms of of being the most positive, I felt as if I was uh, the one who would, you know, keep us going. Um, you know, and we we did go through the same emotions. And you know, you, there is tiny thoughts that, that creep into your head at times when you're thinking, you know, what if we don't get out of here? But you know, the fact that you're 110 percent innocent you know, comes back into your head and you're like, no, we'll be fine. So you had teammates with you. How important that, was it that you were teammates? Did they? Did you draw something from each other? Yeah, well, we we had to keep each other going. Um, you know, we we lived in each other's pockets, you know, for nine days, you know, and that's every minute of the day. Could you, you have imagined what it would have been like had you been there on your own? No, um... I don't know. I don't know how I would have sort of got through that, um, you know, especially being in a foreign country. Um, we were fortunate in that the fellow prisoners um, they were able to to follow things because it was it was big news at the time, and they were able to see things on TV and stuff. and And they knew after two days that that these were all lies. They could tell that, so we um, we didn't sort of experience any badness in prison in terms of the fact that we're in you know um, in prison um, with them saying we've raped somebody you know other prisoners you know could take serious offence against other prisoners for that so we never experienced any any badness in there which was, was, was fortunate 
So what happened when you were eventually released on bail and you came back to the UK? Did you feel great shame even then? Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember arriving back to my house and there's there's press outside the house, um, you know, so there's no privacy there. Um, you know, I, I sort of had all the newspapers from the previous sort of nine days um, regarding the whole matters and I was able to go from day one to day nine and I could see everybody sort of had us guilty and after about three days it turned uh, but by then the damage is done um, you know I'd, I'd go away and play at away grounds and you know you'd have fans shouting rapist rapist at you and you know it's not a it's not a nice thing to be called and you know they're not they're not bothered that you're innocent you know you've 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 been linked to that sort of crime and you know it's something that I've you know I've had to live with those must have been very difficult feelings for you to deal with Keith did you find solace in gambling at that time I did yeah um yeah I mean gambling has pretty much always been there um um I suppose I've always found solace in in, in gambling I've uh, I've uh I've needed that sort of thrill, um, mm. the thrill of winning, the adrenaline. Um, it's something that, you know, doesn't leave you. I'm going to go on to another tricky topic, and that's your relationship with women. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it there and say your relationship with women. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I touched on it earlier in terms of I've, I've always been in relationships. Um, you know, I, I, but you've also gone behind many um, partners' backs and been unfaithful. Oh yes, you have been a philanderer. Yes, without a, without a doubt. Um, Do you mind me putting it in those terms? Um? No, it's 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 the truth. Um, I think in terms of being a professional footballer, it's 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 easier <laughs> to uh, to get with women. You know, I think women were impressed by footballers. Um, you know, so of. I haven't been the, the the straightest guy in the world in terms of, of you know, I've been unfaithful, you know, many times. Um, and, you know, that's something that, you know, you do regret it because my my second wife, um, you know, that although I, I spoke about, I, I find it hard to, to express feelings and stuff, you know, that's, that's part of the reason, you know, we split up. Um, you know, and it's part of the reason my kids live in England now. And you know, it's it's my mistakes, and I'm the one that has to suffer, and 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 rightfully so. Again, a tough question: Can you love another woman? I think I think so. Um, you know, the fact that I've had sort of time out now for for the last eighteen months. Um, you know, it's given me time to sort of, you know, have time to myself because for the last 20 years I've always been in relationships. I've now got my own time and I, you know, if if love comes along, it comes along. Um, hopefully it will. But, you know, it's not something that I'm now just going to jump into mm. or haven't jumped into like, like I would in, in, in previous years. Because it seems quite evident that you're able to display sexual Keith Gillespie in those relationships, but there's no sense of you 
displaying an emotional, intimate, vulnerable Keith Gillespie in those relationships? I've always been one, if I've I've got a problem in a relationship, um, I won't bring it up. because it sounds it sounds funny because I I don't like the confrontation. Whereas in terms of when I played football, I didn't mind the confrontation. You see, you wipe the floor with with coaches, players. Alan Shearer ends up knocking you out. You wake <laughs> up in hospital, and yet you're frightened to have a, a confrontation with a partner. What what's the fear? What's the worst thing that can happen if you have a, an argument with a partner? If there ever was arguments. I didn't like the the atmosphere around the house, so I'd I'd rather just bury my head in the sand and you know keep those feelings to myself. Did you notice um, those arguments when you were a young man at home, growing up? Were you frightened of them happening at home? No, you know it, it's normal, I suppose, for for any parents. You know, I've, I've, I'd heard my parents argue many a time, but it's not it's not the reason why. You know why I didn't want to start arguing. Um, as I said, I just I just didn't like that confrontation and 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 wanted a nice life. I didn't want atmosphere. Um, you know, and that's that's probably just something that that's always been in me when in my makeup where I don't like the confrontation at home. Whereas. You know, it's it's sort of contradicting himself in terms of what I do away from home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering what you felt as a as a young boy when you heard the the odd row at home. Was was it fear? Not not fear. Um, I I didn't hear it that often, but you sort of just you you sense the atmosphere then in the house. You know, maybe you go a few days without talking. Maybe something that I was always wary of in my head. And, and, and didn't want that myself. You're listening to On the Sporting Couch with me, sports broadcaster and psychotherapist Gary Bloom, and former footballer Keith Gillespie. And if you're finding life tough, Samaritans is there to listen. Call 24 7 free on 116 123 or visit Samaritans.org. This is Talksport. Welcome back to On the Sporting Couch with me, Gary Bloom, and former footballer Keith Gillespie. I'm going to move on in, into the last part of our, our discussion about depression. Mm-hmm. What's it like? It's <laughs> it's not a good place to be. Um, you know, it, it it took pretty much uh, my girlfriend at the time and and my family to for them to sort of say to me, for me to sit up and take notice. Um, I had been burying my head in the sand for for, for far too long and I had some counselling, um, therapy sessions um, and I was on some tablets as well. I popped a pill every day um, and it was strange because I, I knew if I missed a day, I just didn't feel right. Um, you know, and that's just sort of one pill. So it was... Um, it wasn't a nice, a nice time for me, uh, but I think that the the most important thing for anybody who who does suffer with depression is 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 admitting it to themselves, um, you know. And maybe if I had admitted a long time ago, 
you know, it, things would have wouldn't have got so bad for me. Must be really difficult as a sports person to be able to admit to yourself that you're depressed and to others. Yeah, I think um, I think it is something that people would have been scared to talk about. I think um, you know nowadays, you know lately, it's something that people are becoming more and more aware of. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a serious illness. Um, you know, and it, it can it can lead to, you know, people committing suicide, you, you know, stuff like that. So, it's an important sort of illness to sort of try and get to the bottom of as soon as possible. So, what would you say to somebody who might be listening to us right now, who has an addiction to gambling? He might be drinking. He might be using sex to cover up some difficult feelings. What would you say to them? Well, I mean, <laughs> hopefully they take. You know something out of this. Um, I think, I think people see sportsmen as as untouchables at times. Um, and now that a lot of sportsmen are coming out and and talking about depression, you know, we're we're, we're normal people again in 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 their eyes. Um, when you're playing football, you know, you can be seen as sort of superhuman, but. It's important, you know, to to take something from this and and try and seek help, and you know, it's a as I said, it's a serious serious illness. What was the experience of counselling? Because there'll be people again who are listening right now who've don't know what counselling's like. Yeah, to begin with, it was difficult because, as I say, I'm a sort of closed up, closed up person, and and don't reveal my feelings. You know, too often. So, to sit with a, a complete stranger and get asked all sorts of, you know, private, personal questions, you know, it, it, to begin with was difficult. But the more I went, you know, the easier I found it. The more open I was able to be, um, and I maybe was there six to ten times. Um, but I, I, f- I felt it was very beneficial to me. Um, I was able to sort of wean myself off the tablets. Um, maybe took about a year or so, but I weaned myself off them and, you know, got back to a better place and, and somewhere where I was happier. I'm just wondering what you learnt about yourself, Keith, and what coping strategies you now have when things are, are pretty bleak. I think, uh, I think it's important that, to not bottle things up. Um, you know, I, I've always been one to to bottle things up, and that can that can lead to all sorts of of things. You've got too much going on in your head. Um, you know, it's important now that you got somebody. I'm I'm, I'm I am close with my family, um, and you are you know, close, sir, because of what's happened to you? I'd I'd say so. Um, you know, we've all always been really close, uh, but you know, we're we're. Pretty, as close a family as you could as you could get, um, so I know I've always got their help and support, um, you know, because they've always known me as as Keith the person, not Keith Gillespie the the, the footballer, um, and know me better than anyone. Mum and Dad are now divorced and have taken very different paths. Do you think if your father was depressed, he could come to you and talk to you, Keith? I don't think he would. Um, as I say, he's um, 
he's the same as me. Um, you know, there's a lot of similarities. You know, he likes to to, to have a beer. He likes to have a gamble, um, and he doesn't. He wouldn't be one to sort of express his feelings. So I don't think he, I don't think he would do it. And if he was listening to this interview now, <laughs> what do you think? Um, I still I still don't think it would make a difference. Um, I don't think he would. Uh, he would be one to sort of come out and and you know seek help, which. You know, it's, it's, it's sad, but, you know, hopefully he's never going to have to experience that anyway. And what about your kids? In terms of... Your relationship with them. What do you hope for them? Would they be able to come to you for help if they were in difficulties? Yeah, I think I think they would. Um, you know, I have a great relationship with all three of them. Um, that's, that's the most important thing as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, they're still very young, but... I'd like. I would. I would. I would reiterate to them that if they ever did, you know, I would expect them to come to me, you know, for help. You know, because you know, you brought them into the world. You you want to. You want the best for them, and you want to look after them. Expect or, or hope they would. Hope. Expect. Uh, both. <laughs> um, you know they. As I say, they're they're still very young, but you know I'm sure they're they're going to through going to go through all sorts of emotions um, in in the coming years. And as a father, you want to be there for your children and you want the best for them. And you know I will certainly try and do what I can for them. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, medication. Was it helpful? Would you like to go back to that point and and make another choice? Were you glad you went on the pills? No, I was glad I did mm. because. Just that one pill every day give you that sort of lift. Um, you know, before that, I had I had no energy to do anything. Right. I I couldn't be bothered with with anything at all. Um, you know, lying in bed, couldn't be bothered getting up. You know, and just popping that pill give you that desire again to to get up and and do something. How important was the GP's role in your in your recovery? Well, the, the GP d- d- described me as, as somebody with... It was mild depression. They, they mm. my, my partner at the time and, and my family probably disagreed because the GP's, you know, seeing me a few times, whereas my family and girlfriend at the time are seeing every day of, of the way I am. So they feel as if it was, it was more than mild depression. But you know, he was the one who, who who gave me the option of these tablets, um, and at first I was a little bit dubious about it. Um, I'm not one for you know taking pills. You know, got a headache, I'll take a t- couple of tablets. But um, for for me, then thinking, oh, how long am I going to be on these for? Am I going to get addicted to them? I've got that sort of type of personality where I do have addictions which we've spoke about so that was something that you know worried me that I would get addicted to to these tablets so again what advice would you give to to young men who might be listening to this program who might be considering going to go to their GP and possibly take medication well you know I would advise them to do it because 
you know, it, it, it's helped me in, in the long run. Uh, to begin with, you're, you know, you can be sceptical <laughs> about it. Um, but if this is something where I'm able to come out and talk about and say it's helped me, you know, certainly something that, that people should always, always give it a go. And if you're finding life tough, Samaritans is there to listen. Call 24-7 free on 116-123 or visit samaritans.org. Keith, many thanks for joining us on The Sporting Couch and thank you for the encouragement that you're giving people who might be listening to the show. You're welcome. You've been listening to On The Sporting Couch, a programme that attempts to lift the lid on mental health issues in sport. I'm Gary Bloom, a sports broadcaster and psychotherapist and my guest in the studio has been ex-Man United, Newcastle, Blackburn and Leicester winger Keith Gillespie. I hope this programme will have encouraged anyone who has or knows somebody who has mental health issues to come forward and get help. There are some useful links on the TalkSport website if you go to www.talksport.com forward slash sporting couch. I'm Gary Bloom and please remember there's no such thing as good health without good mental health. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 